listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You may be seated and take your Bibles and turn to Matthew chapter 7. Ushers are coming forward with Bibles. We would love for everyone to have a copy of God's Word in their hand this morning. And it's a lovely problem. There was a a run back to the church office this morning to get more Bibles because if you do not have one of those Bibles, we encourage people, take that Bible home with you. Read the Word of God. Be in the Word of God. Study the Word of God. Take notes on what you're hearing today. That's why you got that connection card so you can take notes and you can follow along in your Bibles and write down references and do further study and to um, allow this to to aid you in your study of God's Word throughout the course of this week. Matthew chapter 7 is we are bringing the Sermon on the Mount to a close, Lord willing. It will end next week after months and months of working through the most amazing sermon ever preached on the face of this earth and that is because it was Jesus who proclaimed these truths and, and these are truths that will transform our lives. And so Matthew chapter 7, we'll be starting to read in a few moments from verse 15. But first of all, I want to ask you a question. This past Wednesday at 1.55 p.m., where were you? What were you doing? And some of you will know right away that there was something that went on at 1.55 p.m. this past Wednesday because you probably noticed an audible alarm on your cell phone or on TV or on radio as Canada's alert ready, uh, readiness um, agency performed a test. And, and as I went online and read, and, and it says that the warning system provides critical and potentially life-saving alerts to Canadians about situations um, where every uh, situations considered to be a threat to one's life. I was sitting outside a coffee shop at the time, and I knew it was coming, and it was like, wait for it, wait for it, wait for it, and then all of a sudden, it was funny, most people's faces were already in their phones, and so it wasn't that actual actually exciting to see phones go off, but I heard a few occasions where phones went off in meetings and different things like that, and uh, because we, they want us to be ready to be prepared. Now, and some people would find this sort of thing kind of annoying or unnecessary, but let's face it, in the event of an impending disaster or warning, we would be very thankful for that sort of thing. Warnings serve that purpose. Another thing that we got warning about in the news this, this past week, that across British Columbia, 35 intersections will be transformed into having not just photo uh, or, or red light cameras, but also uh, we've been put on warning that there's going to be two intersections in, in Kelowna that will have red light or, or, or speeding cameras also associated. And so if you're racing through an intersection, you will get a ticket sent to you a few days later in the mail. And so they're putting us on warning for that. Here's another fun warning that I, I chuckled over a few weeks ago when I saw this and I thought I got to save this. This is a friend on Facebook who is a missionary in Thailand and this is a very curvy road, 200 kilometers, having 2,000 curves to it. And so there's a little bit of a warning for people re- telling them that this road just may cause you to throw up. And so I, I just thought that is, is a wonderful warning. Now, we, we may not always like and, and appreciate the warnings we receive, but warnings Warnings can be helpful and even life-saving for us. And so Jesus ends the Sermon on the Mount with a series of warnings. We looked at them last week. His conclusion, really, we're kind of taking the the last part of his his message and, and landing the plane, if you want to say, of his message with 
with the warnings that he gave to those who were listening to him. And last week we looked at the warning that he gave that we need to examine our lives personally. What road are we on? Are we on the narrow road that leads to life or are we on the wide road headed for destruction? And the dangerous thing is that many people who think they're on the narrow road headed towards eternal life, headed towards uh, life and and experiencing a a life in Christ or, or the Christian life may very well be deceived that they are actually on the wide road headed towards destruction. And we looked last week how we can examine and how we must examine our lives in light of God's word. And that message is like all our messages online or else there's even CDs available at the, at the um, information table uh, here this morning. So this morning we're going to pick up this second warning that Jesus gives to us in determining fakes and fruit, false prophets, false teacher, and also looking at fruitfulness in their lives, but also in our lives. So let's pick up in verse 15 here. It says, beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. You will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And so in this passage, in these six verses that we're going to be looking at here this morning, we see three instructions that Jesus gives to us about false teachers and and just three realities and instructions when it comes to them. And the first instruction, the first reality is wake up. Wake up, not just in church, wake up, false teachers will come. This is a warning, just be ready for it, false teachers will come. He says right away, beware of false prophets. He's not saying beware if false teachers or false prophets come, he says when they come, they're they're a coming, the danger is definite, it is real, it's going to happen, don't be naive, don't assume, it's going to, it's a reality. There's never been a shortage of false teachers on the face of this earth. Jeremiah, the prophet, deals with them specifically in Jeremiah chapter 6 and and chapter 8 in Jesus' day, in the New Testament day. And today, we just see even probably even more today, an accelerated amount of false prophets and teaching. Again, God's word warns us that in the end times, we're going to see more and more of that. Deceivers have been with us right from the beginning, haven't they? Right from the beginning, where we have in Genesis chapter 3, when we have the serpent, Satan, coming to Adam and Eve. Right away, the first false preacher, the false teacher, saying to them, did God really say that? Did God really say? And really, everything from there since then and false teachers kind of ask that same question. God didn't really mean that. He didn't say that. That's not that big of a deal. Come on. Let's just go this way a little. And we see this kind of danger. We see that they've been with us right from, from the very beginning. Listen to what Jesus says in Mark chapter 13. He says, false Christ and false prophets will arise and perform signs and wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be, but be on guard. This is very important. 
Matthew 24, here's a reference, and I'll just read, read the passage here. It won't be on the screen. I encourage you to write down this reference, and you can look at it later. And it says, and many false prophets, this is in Matthew 24, verses 10 to 11. It says, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because, because of lawlessness will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. False prophets, false teachers will have a way of getting our attention away from God, from the truth, and cause our love and our passion for God to grow cold. God warns and instructs us that in the last days there will be an increase of this sort of thing, a greater rise of false teaching and false teachers. Listen to the warning that Paul gives to Timothy in 2 Timothy 4, 3, and 4. And he says, for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but have itching ears, they will accumulate for themselves. They will accumulate, they will stream, they will download, they will podcast for themselves, teachers, that's my little interpretation in there, my little extra, to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. And in light of this, what does he tell us to do? In verse 2, just before that, he ends up telling us, so preach the word. Timothy, preach the word. Be people of the word. This isn't just for pastors. This is for, for every one of us. We are to be people of God's word. We are to proclaim his word. And he says, be ready for it in season and out of season. Reprove and rebuke and exhort and with complete patience and teaching. And so Jesus tells us right out of the gate here, he says, got to wake up, be prepared. False teachers will come. And so we need to have discernment and, and we need to be examining carefully what we are hearing, what we are reading, what we are listening to when it comes to even, even music or when it comes to aspects of, of, of teaching primarily. We are to be like the Bereans. Got to love the Bereans. You can write down Acts 17. You can read about the Bereans in Acts 17 who with eagerness receive the word. I trust on Sunday mornings when you come in on a Sunday that you're ready and eager. Bibles open, pens ready to eager to receive the word of God. Be a Berean. Open the word. Be excited. Be ready for it. And then examine it. Examine the word of God that you're hearing. Whether it's coming from my lips or whether it's coming from the lips of other pastors or preachers or teachers or authors, whoever it is, be a Berean, study that God's word is being held up high and, and there's no twisting or anything that, that's going along with it. And so we are to study God's word in that way. Something else, false teachers, this is very sobering and very interesting, but it's a, it's a reality that false teachers will come from within. From within this room, potentially. That's very sobering. In, in Acts 20, when Paul is warning the Ephesian elders, and, and he says false teachers, he's called, calling, calling them ravenous wolves, but he's, he's referring to false teachers. He says, we'll come in among you. We'll become a part of you, but not sparing the flock, speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. 2 Peter chapter 2, encourage you, write down 2 Peter chapter 2. That's a great chapter to deal with in, in entirety in the area of false teachers. And there, Peter writes, he says that, again, false teachers will come from among you. They will be secretly bringing their destructive teaching and heresies along with them. And so the danger is definite. This is just a wake-up call that Jesus is, is giving to us. It happened in the Old Testament, it happened throughout the New Testament, it will happen today. False teachers will come. So watch out, be ready. Second instruction he gives is, is to watch out. 
False teachers are devious and dangerous. And so we got to watch out for this. Verse 15, the last part of verse 15, it says, Who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. They're predators. Ravenous wolves, eager to devour. Now, let's face it, no one, I haven't seen this yet, has walked into a church with a t-shirt or with a tattoo or whatever it might be and says, false teacher across it. Run, I'm a false teacher. I mean, no one does that. I mean, that, that just is, you know, danger, danger, I'm a false teacher, follow me. No, well, well, if they did, no one would, but they will come to you in sheep's clothing. They will say wonderful things, ear-tickling things. They will speak truth, a lot of truth. But then they will take and they will twist parts of the truth and turn it into heresy. They will come in sheep's clothing. They are dangerous and deceptive. They will look like they know Christ. They will talk like they know Christ. And Acts 20 again, Paul to the elders, he says, but they're going to speak some twisted things. They're going to start saying some very unreal, twisted things where you're going to be like, really? But then they're going to be so fluent and they're going to back it up with this story of church history and this theological term and this reference that they're going to snatch out of here from the word of God. And in Romans 16, verse 18, Paul says, for such persons do not serve our Lord, our Lord Christ, but their own appetites. And by smooth talk and flattery, they deceive the hearts of the naïve got to be careful. You say, but how can I be careful? This is kind of scary. This is kind of interesting. How am I going to know that it's going to be in the truth? We have the weapon. We have the most powerful source of truth right in our hands. And that's why we need to study the word of God and, and allow it to be a part of our lives. We examine what they're saying. But beware of the false teachers who have the nice smiles and fancy clothes and, and they draw big crowds and, and, and they hold up their Bible and, 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 and people look and say, oh, look, at he's preaching the word, but then they put down the Bible and they never refer to the word of God again in their message. Their messages of health and happiness and positive thinking of easy salvation or easy believism, just, just pray the prayer, walk the aisle. There's no hell, there's no judgment, there's no wrath. They say... Say all the nice things, but leave out the difficult. They pro pro promote blessing and healing and prosperity. And God's word teaches us to discern. They don't like to use the word sin, if at all, or at least they don't like to use it very much. They want you to know you're basically a good person. You're just misunderstood. Or... You've just made a few mistakes in life. You've made some bad choices. No, we sin. God's word says we are depraved. We are wicked. We are sinful. God is holy. What is the gospel? God is holy. Christ is the cure, but we must respond because we are sinful. And you see, oftentimes then it's not in what they say, but it's often in what they won't say. They'll stay away from controversial issues. I've already said some of the things when it comes to doctrine, when it comes to teaching on holiness or righteousness, justice, the wrath of God, judgment that is to come. Oh, we don't want to talk about that. We, don't want, we want people leaving church excited and pumped up and, and thrilled and, and, and ready to go and, and, and live their lives the best of their ability with God's blessing upon their lives. They might even sing and teach and preach about the cross 
But what they do with the cross is they just sentimentalize it. They don't believe, and this is a new trend, and it is in our nation. It would be in our city. They don't believe in the penal substitutionary atonement of Jesus Christ. They refer to the cross as something beautiful and nice and a beautiful sacrifice, but they don't see it as essential to the gospel. It's not essential to our salvation. That Christ had to suffer and pay the penalty for our sins that secures our salvation. They don't want to teach that. They don't believe that. And that's, that's key in our salvation. Jeremiah, the Old Testament prophet, he, he pinned it so well in chapter 6 of the book of Jeremiah. In chapter 6, 14, he says, in regard, he's speaking, writing here in regards to false teachers. It says, they have slightly healed the hurt of the daughter of my people. They've slightly healed it. They've addressed some issues, but it's just slight. They say, peace, peace, when there is no peace. And see, what's going on is there's this deep wound, and that deep wound is our sinfulness, and it's our rebellion, and it's our pride, and it's the things that are keeping us from true life in Christ, and from a victorious Christian life, and we have this deep wound, this deep sin in our lives, and all they are offering is a band-aid when we need surgery. And they're just saying, oh, it's okay, it's okay. They've just slightly healed. You're fine, you're fine. That's why we went through that documentary as a church in our small groups, The American Gospel, Christ Alone, as, as, as even in there, they identified false teachers and, and went into some of the teaching of some of the individuals. This is just the starting point of those that you see on a screen. Some of them will say some very good things and are pastoring very large churches and have great influence. And that is why we are encouraging you to download that. Get, get your hands on a copy of that and, and watch it and rewatch it. If you haven't watched it, uh, it, it'll be the best $15 that you could spend as it will be so informative and so helpful. Jesus says there are ferocious wolves. That's what a label that he's giving them to false teachers. Did you know, as you read a little bit this week, that ferocious wolves or a wolf or a pack of wolves are a shepherd's worst nightmare? Because... Ferocious wolves, or one wolf left alone with sheep, will bring such destruction that is just so hard to even see and then to have to clean up from. It's a horrific scene. The same is true with false teachers, these wolves, condemning people to, to, to a hell that they say doesn't even exist. And that is why Paul, he said in Galatians chapter 1, verse 8, he says, if I or, another, or even if an angel comes to you and preaches another gospel, let him, let me, be whoever that is, be eternally accursed. Then the gospel that we have through Jesus Christ. Again, loved ones, the best defense, the protection, the weapon is that we have is the word of God in our lives. What will protect our lives? What will protect the church? It's the word of God having complete authority in our lives. That's why we tell you, bring your Bibles, take notes, write down references, study, examine, be a Berean, learn and discern. Self-study through the word of God on your own. It's a workbook, a guidebook, a study book. It is the book of life, not just a five-minute little devo at the, at the start of the day to kind of pull you through and give you, you know, that little pat on the back or that little kick in the butt or that little encouragement that you need just to float on by. No, we need to be people studying the word of God personally, and then in groups with others. I love our small groups and the studies that go on here. 
The way not only is it studying the word of God, but it's then it's also, hey, how does this apply? How can I live this? How can I apply this to my life today? And it's so important. We need to self-study. We need to be people of the word. We need to spend time daily with Jesus in worship and in prayer. That God time daily in our lives. Would it just be growing and something that, that we enjoy, that we wake up in the morning just ready and, and, and excited to spend time with God, whether that's early in the morning or if you're a night person to spend that time in, in God's word in such a way. Detectives who detect counterfeit money train for that kind of work that they do by studying the real thing. And when they study the real thing and know the real thing, the look, the, the, the feel, and, 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 and just the intricacies of that dollar bill or of that money that they have come to study, they can identify the fakes so quickly. And the same is true for us. Be students of the word, reading good books, downloading good sermons. You say, but how do I know who's good? How do I know who's trustworthy? Perhaps some of you saw some names up there on, on that screen. I saw some of you looking and not necessarily maybe listening to the message at that point. And you were pointing, say, oh, that person. And, and, and you need to research. You need to see why they're on that list. Or maybe there's some that you're unsure of. You need to ask someone who perhaps is a little further along in the journey. Send me a text message, an email, or someone else who you know who's, who, who's pretty wired into to being able to know um, just what is the trend and, 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 and the history behind or, or some of the other teachings of these individuals. We need to be people of discernment. Again, our greatest protection is, comes from the word of God. When God's word stands in our lives as an authority from cover to cover, not just a suggestion book, there's power and there's life and there's clarity and there's truth that we can know and the truth gives us life. The third instruction and the last one that Jesus gives is, is, is the third one is wise up. Wise up. False teachers are discernible. And so wise up. We need to be people of the word and, and, and we need to examine and, 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 and discern where it's at. And Jesus gives us some of the tools here. He tells us how we can discern, how we can be wise, how we can know. And he says in verse 16, he says, you will recognize them by their fruits. Are grapes gathered from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? So every healthy tree bears good fruit, but the dis diseased tree bears bad fruit. A healthy tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a diseased tree bear good fruit. Twice, Jesus says here in verse 16, and then we'll get to it in, in verse 20 in, in a few moments. He, he says, you will recognize them by their fruit. So he's telling us you can discern a false teacher, false teaching by the fruit of their lives. That word that he uses, recognize, encourage you to underline. If you're an underliner in your Bible, and you might even want to write a little note there, that word recognize them, when he says you will recognize them by their fruit, means to know an exacting, exact, full knowledge. You can know with exact certainty by running them through this test that Jesus gives to us here. Jesus is saying that the fruit of one's life will provide an exact, unerring knowledge of who one really is. And so not only are we to examine, and we've already talked about doctrine, there's the doctrine test. Where are they at when it comes to the core doctrines of the Christian faith? Are they deterring in, in one area or another? What are, critics, what are their critics saying about them? And so we... 
Look at the doctrine test, and I've, I've touched on that already, but then there's the lifestyle test. This is, this is where we, we zoom in a little closer. This is n- not from a distance. This is where we come a little closer and we examine the life of the teacher. And Jesus is telling us we are to be fruit inspectors. We can't, we're not to judge people because we ultimately don't know their heart and we don't know their standing before God, but we are to be fruit inspectors. And he says, every healthy tree bears good fruit. Every diseased tree bears bad fruit. And we live in a pretty sweet part of the country, don't we, when it comes to fruit and all the fruit trees. And you know, I I heard just some awesome news this morning. If you're around this church for very long, you will come to know, what's my favorite fruit? Cherries, yes, of course. And someone told me today that he's heard that down in the Soyuz area that cherries are only about two weeks away. I just cannot wait to get those sugar little blossoms into my eyes. So wonderful. And, 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 and as you know, I just really enjoy cherries. And, and, and maybe I take it to a bit of an extreme um, in my enjoyment of cherries. And, and, and I'm going to be kind of vulnerable to hear to you today. And some of you might say, okay, that guy's a loser. I'm out of here. I'm not coming back. Like, you've got a weird pastor here at this church. And yes, you do. And pray for my wife and my family because they have to put up with me. But I have to admit to you, over the last few years, I've saved my cherry pits. And they're in my garage. And, you know, um, yeah, 2018 is that middle one. That was a good year. And um, it actually leaked over into um, uh, 2018 being so good that it, you know, is kind of leaked over into the 2019 jar. But don't worry, I have another old peanut butter jar that is just waiting to get filled up this year. I don't know what I'm going to do with them. My wife said I can't store them in the house. I don't know why. So they're in the garage with my Saskatchewan, my uh, 50-some years of Saskatchewan license plates, you know, things that I hold dear, you know, in the garage. Um, but this week, I walked past, uh, we, on a walk, we went past a neighbor's cherry tree. Just look at those little sugary bundles of sugarly, sugarly goodness. Oh, can't wait. And two weeks away? I mean, how exciting is that? Now, um, now, how do you know that that's a cherry tree? Well, there's the look of it, but as you get closer to it, and, and in certain seasons, then it's very easy to tell. And, and how can you tell? Well, you can start to see those little sugar blossoms on the tree just growing so beautifully and soon to be turning red. Because there's fruit. You can tell what a tree is by the kind of fruit that it gives off. And Jesus says the same for false teachers. And so we examine it. We take a look at the tree. We look at the fruit. But then... We're to dig a little further, and this is where we dig, and we, we, you know, we do this lifestyle ch- test, and we're going to look at a few things in a moment, but because when we dig a little further, we may find something, and last summer, I was popping back the, these little cherry pills, and look at what I found. Yeah, a little extra protein. I didn't even know I was getting protein while I was eating those little little sugar goodness um, berries. But yeah, anyways, we don't have to keep replaying it. Some people are putting their heads down and (laughs) won't eat dinner um, today. But you end up finding out, hey, there's something wrong with that cherry. The further you dig and the more you open it up, you start to see, ooh, there's something wrong here. I need to examine closely. And the same is true for false teachers. We're not only to examine or inspect from a distance, but we are also to take a closer look. And Jesus, as he says, as fruit inspectors, we are to, um, to take a good hard look. And, and realizing that the fruit doesn't grow right away, does it? 
No, you have to wait for fruit, but eventually it does show itself. Fruit doesn't bear overnight, just, and, and, and fruit is produced over time. And so sometimes it, you need to give the time test and just see where some of these teachers are at. But eventually, however, one way or another, the fruit or the lack thereof or what that fruit really consists of will be revealed. And no doubt false teachers may be difficult to recognize in the moment, given time, we will be able to recognize them. They will be known by their fruit. Again, the fruitfulness of effective ministry does not re result in oftentimes the ABCs of ministry that so oftentimes that we can make ministry about. Attendance, buildings, and cash. That is not the true fruitfulness of effective ministry. Just because there's a large crowd, because there's great buildings, and because there's lots of money. But we are to inspect some other ways and we are to look at, and here's some things you might want to write these down to watch for in examining the life of a false, false teacher. And, and it's, we have the doctrine test, lifestyle, but in that lifestyle, it's the pride. Is there a lot of self-promotion in this person, in their ministry? And is their face plastered all over social media or their books? I heard Tim Challey say that if an author or teacher is consistently has their face on the cover of their own books, promoting themselves, run, he says. Social media, is it all about them? Is it selfies and look at me doing this and look what I'm doing or is it what God is doing in and through me in a heart of humility? Is there pride? Is there arrogance? Is it all about them and their ministry? The, the ministry is built on uh, the name of an individual and it's them, the ones that are flourishing and, and be, being seen in, in the light in so many different ways. Pride can, can be a terrible, terrible way to destroy people. <laughs> and then there's sensuality. <laughs> Good old technology interruptions. Sensuality is another one. Is there a history of sexual sin in a person's life? Is it from, are there multiple marriages or or just a history as you dig into it, or it's an area that can easily trip up false teachers. Another one is greed. Are they eager for money, full of greed and gain? Take a look at their lifestyle. Again, over the years, it will reveal what's happening. Over the years, sadly, as I've lived a few years now, I've watched many teachers, pastors, leaders rise up with prominence, with great success. I've sat across the table Went to college with some of them, sat across the table as a, even a more seasoned, mature pastor. Across from some who have shown themselves to be very concerning teachers or even false teachers. Only to see them fall into one of these areas. And sadly leaving a wake of destruction behind. The devil loves it. Now some of these might be hard to inspect at times, but here's... Another final test that we must ask ourselves upon looking, reading, hearing from various teachers that are out there, does this person reflect the character of Christ? Is the character of Christ reflected in this person? Are we seeing the spiritual fruit that we see in scripture in the life of this person? Are they growing in Christ-likeness, in character, in speech, in purity, 
the purity of heart, the, the brokenness over their sin and, and, and the sin that, that, that is so prevalent in our world? Is there humility and a meekness about them? Is there a mercy and a deepening love for the Lord and a genuine love for people and, and love for others? Those are marks of a good shepherd, a caring shepherd. You need much prayer and discernment. We all do when it comes to determining and detecting false teachers and good shepherds. And then Jesus says these sobering words in verse 19. He says, every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Verse 20, thus you will recognize them by their fruits. And again, Jesus, I mean, he, he's, he's telling us here, we'll recognize them by their, by their fruit and false teachers are headed towards destruction. Again, very sobering. This is a sobering and a convicting and I trust an eye-opening uh, message for you today that would cause you to go have a little gulp and think, okay, what am I reading? What am I listening to? There's a lot that's at stake here. And as we close this morning, I just want to ask three closing questions. How do we take God's word, what, we, what Jesus has given to us here, and how do we live and walk in the truth this week? And I trust for the rest of our lives based on this passage of scripture. And the first one, examine our own lives first. Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy 4, 16, he says, keep a close watch on your life and on your teaching. He says, persist in this. For doing so, you will, you will save both yourselves and your hearers. We don't go and, 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 and become fruit inspectors of everyone else out there, every teacher, everyone that we hear, every Christian that, that speaks up in a, in, in a small group study or whatever it might be and wonder, okay, where are they coming from? What, are they, what influences do they have? No, the, the first person we examine is we examine our own lives. We start with, with ourselves are we on the narrow road, as we talked about last week? It means, has there been a radical change in the depth of our own soul through and by the grace of God? Has that happened? Have we repented of our sins? Have we made Jesus Lord? Have we made a cut and a clean break from sin and surrendered our lives to Jesus Christ? Jesus is the one who has the authority to call us to do that, and he calls us to do it, and he has the authority to do that because of who he is and because what he has done. Have you come to that place where you have submitted to the authority of Jesus in that way? You see, that's when radical change begins. That's where the power comes from. As the Holy Spirit enters our life and, and empowers us and strengthens us. And when we recognize our own sinfulness... And God's holiness, we've been talking a lot about that this morning, it's so important. And we see that God took on flesh by sending his one and only son to this earth, sending him to this earth, living that perfect life, dying on the cross for our sins, not just as a nice little story showing some love and sacrifice, but taking our sin upon himself, bearing the wrath that we deserve to have poured down on us. He took that all upon himself that we deserved, and then rising three days later in victory. Rising again, conquering sin and death, establishing his authority as the author and giver of life, as the one who redeems and forgives us of our sins, securing our place in heaven, but also adopting us into his family. Jesus has that kind of authority. Have you submitted to that authority in your life? And as true believers, our lives ought to be altered by that. Jesus says, every good tree 
bears fruit. Are you bearing the fruit in keeping with your repentance? Now, we're far from perfection. We're far from stable at times. Our lives can be all over the place. There'll be seasons, perhaps, of dryness and difficulty, dryness and uh, drought in our lives. We may backslide. But over time, once again, we respond back to the Lord when we manifest his character and, and, and the character traits of the kingdom servants that we've seen here in this passage. There ought to be a true poverty and brokenness over sin, poverty of spirit and that brokenness of sin, a hunger and a thirst of righteousness for more and more righteousness. Is that evident in our lives? And we're getting sick and tired of being sick and tired of sin and, and wanting to make that clean break from sin constantly in our lives and, and turning our lives towards the holiness of God in a greater way. We're growing in our forgiveness of others. It's not about holding grudges and being bitter. God's word is very clear on that. That is a sign of good fruit in our lives when we're forgiving, when we're letting go. It's a sign of bad fruit, disease fruit, concerning fruit. When we hold on, if there's unforgiveness that goes on and on in our lives and we're not willing to let go, that's a, a great warning sign of some rotten fruit that's in our lives. It's revealing fruit. Are we peacemakers? Are we going into situations to just cause a ruckus or are we desiring to be peacemakers? And, and, and work through the entire Sermon on the Mount, we're not going to do that now. But the fruit of the Spirit is that evident in us that we're growing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are good signs that fruit is growing and sometimes it might be hard to, in some years, that tree might not produce an awful lot and then other years, it's a bumper crop. I trust that we will have those seasons, the good seasons and the difficult seasons and yet we will see God's faithfulness in it all and so first of all, examine my own life first. Second of all, am I growing in my convictions and discernment? Am I a person of the word? Are there areas of teaching or influence that I've been lured away with, I've been lulled to sleep on and have just allowed to become a part of my life? That is, is there areas of disobedience in my life towards the word of God where it says, I know God's word says this area about sexuality or it says this about speaking the truth or in keeping my word, but you know what? Um, did, did God really say that? Is there areas where we need to grow in, in areas of conviction and discernment when it comes to word, God's word? Are there influences that are dangerous that maybe we need to delete, we need to get rid of, we need to throw away, we need to toss in the garbage, shred, whatever it might be, disassociate from because it's not a good influence on us and we're not strong enough to handle some of those influences and, and we just don't need to be sopping around in that. And then the third one, who must I warn? And I'm going to ask the band to come up at this time. Who must I warn of impending doom? Friends, family members, co-workers who are being influenced by false teachers and teaching? Who are people who, they're good people, but they don't know Christ and they need, we need to share the gospel with them. Who is it in your life in that way? Our culture, apart from the gospel, apart from the narrow gate, is deceived and headed for doom. That's a reality. And we have the message. We have the glorious gospel message. Would we speak the truth in love? Care for one another? Watch our lives and our doctrine, our teaching carefully. Would we persist in this for God's glory? Let's